Texting 144, Justin Vincent, Jason Roberts. I like the new intro. <laughs> so um, I've decided to do a little different approach to the show. Okay, go on. What, what, what you can do? I, I listened back to the last show, and I just realized that I talked way too much. <laughs> <laughs> what made you think that? Well, you know, obviously I talk a lot, but I just, uh, I was listening to the show and I felt like I was just going on and on and I wasn't giving you enough bandwidth. So I am going to give you some bandwidth. Well, that's, that's very kind of you, but you know, that's one of the best things about being on this show with you is that if I want to take it easy, I can. <laughs> well, tough luck. Cause today <laughs> I'm passing you the ball. Oh, that sucks. See, there you go. It's a, we, we don't want your nickname to be, uh you know, dead air, Justin, dead air. Dead air well, that, that is, that was my nickname in the UK. I mean, oh, was it? I mean, I mean, the thing is, you know, that that's kind of part of the reason why, why we make a good team is because I'm very good at questions and I'm very good at questioning. I'm very good at listening and you're very good at talking and that's great. I mean, I work well with that kind of, uh, that kind of character. I just felt really bad, uh, listening. Cause I, I felt like I would go on for, for like five, these five minute monologues and you're just sitting there waiting and I think I think the funniest parts of the show were, were when the two of us had some back and forth. So I'm going to try and cut it short when I can. And uh, I don't think that it is that you need for me to kind of consciously try and talk more. I think you just need to consciously try and talk less and that will be fine. Because like our, our discussion will go backwards and forwards. Like, you know, when, when there's a dead air moment, then I'll bring something up or you'll bring something up or whatever you know, change of topics. I mean, even the very fact of you cutting your, your thought process short, then maybe that will allow you to think, you know, to move on to another subject rather than me having to bring in the other subjects. You know, one of the things, what I think about it is that um, one of the reasons that I talk in these long bursts is that I want to get all of my ideas out. Cause I feel like if I don't get them out, I'm not going to get a chance to fill them out. Yeah. And I think that what I'm going to try and do is, do a little more of an intro summary. <laughs> we'll give you the abstract. And then I'll assume that we'll are back and forth. I can get the rest of my ideas out. So I, I that, that, that was sort of my self critique. I was listening to the show and I was kind of wincing. I was like, God, come on, Roberts, you know? Well, you know, it's sort of like, um, Paul, uh, the Paul McKenna way of, um, approaching weight loss is, is to say, look, there's this thing about the clean plates, plates club. You know, are you a member of the clean plates club? And typically, the reason why a lot of people are a member of that club and what that club is, is you always finish everything on your plate. And it's because you have this fear that, you know, you want to get it in now. You want to enjoy this good stuff now. And you think, well, if I, you know, if I was to leave anything on this plate, I'd be losing out. But the truth is, you're not losing out. Like, you're going to get another chance to eat that same thing again. And I guess the same thing goes with this. Like, you don't need to say everything in one go because this is an ongoing show. And we can say, you know, we can keep talking over the shows and, you know, you can bring in some points that you didn't make this time around, you can bring that in over the next show. Yeah. You know, and I was listening to, um, I, I don't know which show it was, but it was uh, one of the shows with, uh, John C. Dvorak, um, who we had on the show quite a while back. And he's, he's probably my favorite, uh, person to listen to on a podcast. And I noticed he doesn't go on and on. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. And, but you, you kind of think maybe he would like sometimes he does. Right. But no, he's, he's good. He is good. I mean, Adam Curry and him do have like a good kind of cutoff points. Although I do find that sometimes Aaron Curry, Adam Curry goes on a bit longer. Right. So, well, anyway, I'm going to make an effort. I'm going to make a concerted effort over on today's show and upcoming shows to start cutting it a little short, give you some more bandwidth. 
Um, so that I think that'll just make for a better show. Oh, um, so the pressure's yeah, on we'll me. See how it goes. We'll see how it goes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So we're recording this show later. Um, uh, normally we record it on a Saturday morning, but we're now recording this one on Monday night at 8 p.m. And um, the reason why we couldn't do it over the weekend was because my wife, um, Georgie, uh, basically set up a, a surprise trip for me, uh, well, for us, to go away to one of her childhood um, vacation places called Piz- Pismo Beach, which is like three, uh, I guess, three hours outside of Los Angeles. So that was a lot of fun. But what I noticed was on the drive down during the three hours, that was the time we would be doing the podcast, right? And during that whole trip, I basically did the podcast with her. <laughs> So I was talking about tech incessantly. We spoke about the possibility of replicators and what they might mean for society. I was talking to her about the singularity, as I understood it from my discussions. Um, told her about various different blog posts, like the Mark Andreessen one about how software is taking over the world. I'm sure she loved that. <laughs> well, she no, she was interested. It was, but the the replicator thing was funny. We had a, we even had that, like some little arguments as well. Like I was telling her, well, you know, potentially there could be replicators where you could take dirt you know and put it in this microwave style device and click a button and then it's going to rearrange the atoms and it you know you can have whatever you want come out of it and she was like that's not possible how could that work (laughs) so anyway it was funny kind of like maker bot on uh at the nano scale right right yeah okay so what are we talking about today what's the uh what are we what are we i would like to get into that uh, blog post by mark andreessen did you did you read that one yeah why why software is eating the world Mark Andreessen is basically talking about how software is eating everybody's lunch, how Amazon has basically changed the book business. Netflix has changed the video business. iTunes changed the, changed the music business. And he gives countless more examples. And his surprise that the stock market and trading world doesn't really take software companies so seriously. He was saying that Apple, for whatever reason, comparatively speaking to other companies that are smaller, you know, it, it's just not traded as well. And he was wondering why that is and basically postulating that software really is going to be the future of everything. Like there's going to, it, there's so many more industries that can be made more efficient through software. And so, yeah, but there's a limit to that though. I, I, I agree that anything that's information based, the exchange of information um, can make th- industries more efficient. But once you hit that limit where information is all, everyone has the information or needs the information um, is presented with the right information at the right time. Once you have that more or less solved, then it stops. The, there's only there's only this sort of um, diminishing returns. It it ultimately um, there are going to be people who have to actually exist in the real material w- world, moving things, uh, lifting things, building things. You know, actually doing things. Not everything can be software. I mean, somebody has to make the food. Somebody has to build the houses. Somebody has to dig the raw materials out of the ground. You know, I mean, it's not everything could be software. Well, do you think that if um, a country like Ireland was to retool and focus like a massive amount of effort on building software developers and software businesses, that it could make a difference to their economy? Um, and I guess you could say that India's sort of done that. And, and, and I don't know whether it's made a difference to their economy, but what's your thoughts about that? I don't know. You know, I, it's like... Yeah, you you could end up having like a software bubble, right? You know, where it's like uh, there's only so much software that can be written and maintained. Well, there's only so much uh, software that's needed at any given time. Uh, software uh, 
I, and it's like anything, you know, this, it's like, do you remember back in the late nineties, they kept talking about the new economy and that we were just going to go to like Dow 50,000 or something. And there would never be any other recessions. It's sort of this utopian thinking about technology. Yeah, they did. And, and that, that kind of helped promote the whole bubble. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I think that you know you have to be careful about thinking about software as a, as a utopian solution. Yeah, software is incredibly powerful. There's incredible leverage in software. It can make um, a lot of things much more efficient, but um, it's only part of the equation. Um, so I, but wouldn't I don't you, know. I mean, I mean, wouldn't you include like ro- you know robots in in that whole thing? I mean, you you were saying yeah, but you still need people to make things. Well, do you? I mean, robots can make things, and robots are driven by software and you know, that once again, bringing in a lot more efficiency into the marketplace? Well, you know, if we go to like, you know, 50 or 100 years down the road, you know, it's kind of all bets are off, right? Technology is so hard to predict. But, you know, let's just talk the next, you know, 10 to 15 years. Okay. Uh, 10 to 20 years. 20 years, anything beyond 20 years, I think, is just too way too hard to predict. I mean, 10 years is going to be hard enough. But I just think that, uh, yeah, there's, there's a limit. I mean, you can't have everybody, uh, you know, retooling for software because ultimately um, if, if Ireland was doing that, they would end up selling their software, their services to other countries. But there's probably only so much demand for that. So then the wages get driven down, right? Well, that's, that's what India does, right? So India basically sells, sells software skills to other countries. But I guess what I'm talking about is taking an approach like um, a Y Combinator, but mm-hmm. for for the whole country, <laughs> so saying right, Ireland's going to be a Y Combinator, <laughs> you know. So build well, build, build uh, businesses. Uh, yeah, no. I, do I think there's room to do that sort of stuff in uh, countries like Ireland? Sure. I mean, could there be um, a lot more money and effort put into uh, developing companies? But that's that's definitely. I think that's there's definitely room for that. But there's also needs to be a lot of probably energy put into basic research, development of basic science. I mean, there's only so many uh, check-in, social, mobile, local BS applications this world needs. Right. Um, uh, I mean, I think a lot of the Y Combinator uh, companies are are interesting, but a lot of them I'm seeing are just sort of silly. It's like, ordering lunch for your you know, your company sucks. We're going to solve that problem. It's like, you know, that's just a real first world problem. I mean, that's just a real... And it's not really that big a deal, right? right? The problems they're solving just aren't that hard. They're not that important. And at some point, the, the problems that people are trying to solve are just, I'm just not really sure uh, there's a whole lot of value that they can create there. I, I don't know. I, I think there's kind of a bubble in these kind of companies. I, I just, well, that's uh, interesting because of- that kind of goes against the Patrick McKenzie theory about no niche is too small and there's enough for everyone. I mean, what about what about the fact that you know, there's, I don't know, 2 billion, and then is, there's going to be 5 billion online within the next five years or whatever. Like, what? Yeah, but most of those people, okay, so let's, let's break it down, right? I mean, most people in this world are, are flat-ass broke, right? Right. I mean, people in India, Africa, most of Asia, most of South and Central America, they, they have nothing. Um, even, even if you talk about in the U.S., uh, you know, what percentage of the people, of, what, it's 300 million people, what percentage of the people are um, not broke, not, you know, little kids or not elderly or not. I mean, you just squirt, you know, limit it down to the number of people who are sort of relatively well off, use software a lot, use technology. I don't know. It's just not it's, these numbers, like billions of people. I, I think that's just a very small fraction of people that are actually a true, true market because most people are just going to be, uh, they're not 
business, they don't represent businesses as customers. They represent cus- uh, consumers, and consumers don't like to spend money. They spend money on a limited a, a number of things, and so there really isn't enough, enough for everybody. Be if you want, if everybody's a a entrepreneur in a certain way, unless what they're pulling out is very very small, because there's just uh, there's only so much attention. There's only so much uh, that can be consumed. So we're just very lucky. We're very we're, we're very lucky. We're privileged. We're very lucky. Privileged and lucky, and. I would say that most of the people listening to us are in that same kind of privileged and lucky yeah, situation. Yeah, I mean, I, look, I, do I think that uh, software and technology is expansive? I think it is. I think it increases overall value in this world. I think it makes things more efficient. I think ultimately um, it's going to solve a lot of our problems that we create for ourselves. But do I think they're going to solve all our problems or do I think that everybody can be a millionaire? And every, No, I mean, not anytime soon. I mean, who knows? Who knows what it'll be? What it'll, what it'll be like a thousand years from now? You know, maybe we'll hit some kind of technological singularity, and everybody, you know, is lives in their own virtual paradise or something. But um, I, I don't know. I, I just I don't I don't really buy it. It seems a little utopian and sort of very vague. It's very vague in the way it's described, and uh, it just doesn't really ring true to me. So you recommended to listeners and to me um, <clears throat> to watch the documentary about Elon Musk, and I watched it, and I have to say that guy is awesome. Like he really, really is, isn't he? He really rocks. He is, in my book, the. Uh, I think I would I would vote him as the most impressive entrepreneur in modern times. Okay, so so what was he done? He's he's founded or certainly been co co founded PayPal. Um, so for for that he started Zip two. So he yeah zip- for three hundred million to was it HP or HP something? and basically that was a little bit like Google Maps, but um, so I, I guess it's like a an on disk directory, like a CD ROM style directory. Then he then he did PayPal, right? Probably closer to City Search or something, right? And he also then formed. He's kind of obsessed with uh, getting getting humanity off fossil fuels. And this is what I like about him: is the fact that he kind of has a bigger picture and a vision for humanity. So then um, he started that. What's the name of that company that that does uh, photo? Um, um, Photovoltaics? You mean Solar City? Yeah, the the, the solar, solar panels basically. So what, what's what's the thought behind that? They're basically giving you the solar panels for free, then you pay them on a, on a slow lease kind of style. But then in the long run, they're always going to get a certain percentage of electricity from your roof, even though you get the bulk of the electricity. Is, is that the way it works? You know, they didn't go into it in too much detail in the profile. And I, and that was really the first I've, I've ever heard of Solar City. Right. Um, the impression I got is that his cousin's were interested in starting a business and he either pushed them to do that particular business or they had an idea and he funded it and said, I'll be on the board or something and advise it and, and, and that sort of thing. And, um, and, and basically the idea is I think they're one of the fastest growing solar providers in the world, I think, at the moment. 20%, 20% of, of um, renewable energy comes in, in America. 20% of American renewable energy comes from their solar panels on people's roofs. That's impressive. And the, the impression that I got is that they're trying to make all the little steps that it takes to make that a reality a little, a little better, a little more efficient, a little easier to, to get the panels, get them installed, get them hooked into your grid or, or your uh, home or whatever it is, and make all of those things just work better. Because I think a lot of people who may have some sort of passing interest in, in say, installing solar panels on a roof, wouldn't really know how to start or who am I going to install it, where I'm going to buy it, how much it's going to cost, and how many years it's going to take me for, to recoup my investment. Well, I think SolarCity does a good job solving a lot of those problems. 
So then uh, Tesla. Oh, you see, I cut that off there. Yeah, nice. So, so I could have gone on for five minutes. <laughs> so then Tesla basically building the electric, the electric car Tesla and starting with the viewpoint of saying, right, let's change people's perspective on what an electric car is. Let's not build low end. Let's build high end, high end and desirable. Starting that way, then essentially use that as a PR mechanism for people to think about electric cars in a different way. And I think they pretty much succeeded. And then they're going on the... Um, the next will be like a mid-range sedan for families. But what was really interesting is how many people tried to screw him over. Like he's had a lot of people screw him over. Like, wh- why is that? Well, well, who tried to screw him over? I mean, well, it's like the one, the one, like he got the designer to design the car, but basically all the, you know, the whole time that design is giving, oh, him, giving right. him a bad design and selling, selling all the information to this other company who come out with the car first, right. you know? Yeah, that was brutal. Um, yeah, well, that's it. Reminds me of that um, one of my favorite um, Murphy's Laws, which is uh, there's always one more asshole than you counted on. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and uh, I, I think that yeah, he he's definitely run up against more than his fair share of of obstacles. I I think um, he was going through his divorce right when Tesla was hitting a low point and the 2008 uh, crash happened. Yeah. So you know all those things. It just it wasn't like everything just was like roses and, and has worked out for him. He's kind of had oh, to persevere. Really tough, what, really tough. He's had a very tough what, time. What was really impressive to me was when um, Tesla was about to go down in flames. I think this was 2008, 2009. And they had, they had like a month or something of operating capital left. Um, and they were still not making any revenue or they just really didn't have a via, anything really viable at that point. And he stepped up and put in his last remaining $40 million, what he called his reserve capital. Because at, at, at some point, I mean, he was obviously worth probably a couple hundred million or whatever. He put his last $40 million in. He came back to the board and says, all right, I'm, I'm putting my last $40 million. And I think it was Steve Jurvetson, um, who's a pretty well-known uh, venture capitalist and also a big science tech guy. And he just said that was like the most heroic moment he's seen from any investor. And so all the other investors are like, damn, we're jumping in. <laughs> right? If you're 40 million, I mean, we're in, that's amazing. And he saved the company and it kind of, uh, it's just that kind of, um, he was less worried about just preserving his wealth and, and, and leading the life of some uh, rich guy. He was like, I want to change the world. I want to see this company become a reality. This has to happen. And he, and he just willed it to happen. It was just, it's amazing. And with SpaceX, so now, you know, has delivered over 40 satellites or. Well, there's 40, there's 40 launches on the manifest. I think that's what I mean. I think there's scheduled launches. I don't think they've done 40 launches. I think they've had a handful. Um, I, I don't know exactly where it is, but they, I think they're going to have 40 launches in the next, you know, X number of so years. So he's put, but, was it, well, he's put like a hundred million into that. That was like, all, he started off by putting a hundred million in, and then he put in another hundred million or something like that. <sighs> you know, I don't know the numbers, <laughs> but I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> but it's like, it's just so crazy that someone you know, just one guy could say, I'm going to start a company that's going to basically compete with NASA. We're going to go into space. We're going to have a, an ambition of going to Mars. We're going to do it. We're going to bootstrap it. <laughs> and, and they've done it. And they, they're, so, they're so efficient and profitable that it's just way less money for NASA to pay them <laughs> than it is for NASA. Yeah, well, China to do it admitted that they have a lower launch cost than they do. So um, they, they, and it's just amazing that it wasn't someone like General Dynamics or Raytheon or Northrop Grumman or something that 
that did this, right? I mean, yeah. these big behemoth aerospace, military, industrial contractors who have huge contracts with the, with the Defense Department, NASA and stuff, that they didn't, that they weren't able to do it. That it was some little startup out of Silicon Valley, some CEO who he didn't have, it was like he had well, a, you well, know. That's he, what the, 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 the guy from General Motors, he, he was basically, I mean, we're talking about the, the CEO of General Motors. He, he said, thank God for Elon Musk, because if it wasn't for that guy, General Motors wouldn't be building the Leaf. You know, we wouldn't have gone electric. And it's only because of that guy that, you know, I think that guy's kind of single-handedly saved the car industry. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's, that's pretty high praise, right? Yeah, and so I think a couple of things about him that are really important. I mean, first of all, he's, he's obviously very bright, and he works really hard. Photographic memory. Uh, I don't know about that. I don't know if anyone really. I, that, those are, those photographic memories are usually a myth. I don't think anyone's ever been proven to have one, but that's a whole other discussion. Okay. But he's, 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 he goes without saying that the guy is extremely bright. But I don't think it's just about being bright. I don't think it's just about working hard. He has a vision, and he's not afraid to try to do things that other people say are impossible. And that's really important. And I, I saw another series of interviews that were from probably 2009, I think. Um, uh, one of our listeners uh, forwarded me some links. And, and uh, this one interview, he said, um, I guess the interview asked him something along the lines of like, well, how, why is it that you can do these things? Or why aren't other people able to do these things? He's like, I, he's like, I don't know. I think I just don't look at the conventional wisdom if the conventional wisdom is this is how you do things or this is how it's done because it's always been done he says i like to look at the first at, at first principles you know like in physics and go well okay well maybe there's a better way let's why does it have to be done that why do we have to do it that way you know maybe that's not true and sometimes that's the case and that's that's the way i like to think and uh, you know i think is is look down at first principles based on your specific situation build up from there and don't just take conventional wisdom and best practices and this is the way everybody's done it or this is the way so and so does it and they're and they're successful so therefore we have to do it that way i think all that stuff leads to group think limits your possibilities limits what you can do and he just sort of is a good demonstration of why it can be a very powerful approach so talking about PayPal and um, X.com, which is uh, his his original um, purchase was X.com, well, the, the thing that he created, then he merged with another company, they created PayPal. But you sent me a link this week about uh, PayPal splitting it between two accounts. Did you read up on that? I'm really interested to know about that. I've only glanced at it. So this is this is important for Anyfoo. Yeah. And the, the reason this is important to us is that our, 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 our revenue model is this, is so that when uh, we do, we, we sort of um, match an expert with a client, um, we're going to take a percentage of the transaction, just sort of like uh, something like Airbnb would do, right? Yep. Airbnb takes 10% of the, of the transaction, and that's exactly what we're going to do. Um, and that's how it kind of works on even places like Odesk and Elance. Um, it's a scalable, simple way to, uh, to sort of um, work out the revenue. Um, the question is, well, how do you how do you do that? So would would the uh, client pay us, and then we turn around and pay the client? So it's a two transaction, two steps um, process, um, two transaction process. But it looks like uh, PayPal Adaptive Payments, I think they're called, 
allow you to do split transactions so that we could say 10% of it goes to us and uh, the remaining 90% goes to the client. So what we would do is we tack on 10%. So let's say that your billing rate is $100 an hour. You did 10 hours. That's $1,000. We would tack on a uh, $100 that so it would be 10% of that so it would be $1,100 total charge we then the transaction would occur we take the $100 and the $1,000 would be uh, credited to the um, so do we pay one transaction fee for that or is it on both sides of it is it like the 2.9% I believe it's one transaction we'll have to look into that I'm hoping it is I think it is okay we'll need to look into that um I talked to uh, Curtis, uh, our accountant. As it, as it turns out, you and I have the same accountant because because you recommended you referred him to me. Yeah, yeah. So he's he and he's do, has done the accounting for my um, you know LLCs or businesses as well as my uh, as well as my personal accounting. And so I called him up, asked him a little bit about you know how how this thing would work in terms of. Um, well, just I'll just give a bit of background. So um, we, we yourself and myself were having a discussion about this, and really we were talking about wow, you know the whole W nine and the whole, you know, all the tax forms and all the tax implications. What is the deal going to be with Anifu if essentially we're paying, you know, thousands of people, if let's, let's say it's successful, right? What do we do? And so we, we, we said that you'd go and have a chat with Curtis, our accountant. So that's what we're picking up now. So it, I think it can work either way. It can work on, it, we could do it where the, um, the expert or the client pays us and we turn around and pay the expert and we're the middleman. So in a sense, all transactions with the clients are with Anifu. Okay. And then we, um, and then all payments that go to the experts are from Anifu. But I think the better way to do it is we do the split transaction. So no payment, we just take our 10%, the, the 10% uh, uh, fee and the, and the rest goes to the, uh, the client and so the client will there'll be the the client's 1099 will be from will be from the client to the um i guess the the uh from the i can't remember how it goes the 1099 isn't the problem with i mean isn't there a problem with that for example then then where we were thinking of this kind of with the okay there's a couple of issues first of all it means that everyone has to be going through paypal secondly it means that there's no there's no kind of accrued accrued account balance because basically money is transferred directly at the point of sale. So we, so in our dashboard, we won't be able to say you've, uh, you know, you've earned this much, withdraw it. Right. You wouldn't be able to do no, that. No, it'll happen immediately. Right. Which would be, which would actually be fine. Right. I mean, why would that be a problem? Why do they have to withdraw it? Why wouldn't you want it? Why wouldn't the expression, the expert get their, their money immediately? I don't have a, I don't have a good answer other than it seems uh, foreign. <laughs> it's, it seems like a foreign concept. Um, and it seems, well, any, anywhere that I've worked with, you know, such as Odesk and Elon, um, they basically have this, have this scenario where the money is paid through them. And then you can see what you have in your account and you can withdraw it. You can get it sent to you by check. You can get it sent to you by PayPal. You can get it sent to you various different ways to your, you know, directly to your bank account. Whereas if we just have this PayPal thing where it just kind of goes between the two accounts, we wouldn't be able to be in that scenario or we'd have to rethink it at, at some stage later. Yeah. So I'm not exactly sure how, that, how you know, all about all the ramifications. We're definitely going to have to spend some time researching this, but um, 
one thing we have to work out is the uh, the the tax forms, the 1099s that get sent. Who who gives a 1099 to who, and what forms are filled out? And then there's the the transfer of money. So the payments that go to us, and like we create some account, and then if you're an expert, you withdraw it, or it just goes to the account, uh, goes directly to the expert. I mean, obviously we'll have a database record of that. This transaction occurred. You know, this expert paid you. You know, two thousand dollars on this date. You know, we'll have that information. Um, we'll be logging that information, but um, the money can go ahead and pass through. I don't see why we'd have to be the middleman, especially if it's saved on uh, a three percent transaction fee. Okay. Well, I, that's. I, th- I guess that's just up for research. Like we don't know yet, but um, I'm sure. Yeah, we never had a recent. Yeah. I'm sure that some listeners will have some good ideas about that. Yeah. So, I mean, I haven't had time to research. I found that. I- I was thinking about it, and I just did a little quick search on Google, and I came across that forum, and I guess it was the PayPal Developer Network, and so I uh, I forwarded a link, but I haven't done enough research on it. So, but um, yeah, cool. So yeah, now I'm, you have been sending me loads of links during the week. So of of all of those links, what would be the favorite one that you'd like to talk about? Ugh, I don't have a favorite one. I just have a whole bunch. Okay. So I want to just—I'll just talk about one of the ra- random things I've been thinking about, which is sort of my fractured web social life. Oh, yeah. So you got Google Plus, Twitter, Facebook, Startup Guild, the blog, podcast comments. I mean, I, I'm not even exactly sure how you're supposed to keep up with all these things. I just kind of log in and check into each one every, you know, for just a couple of minutes a day. I just—I personally, this is the way I do it. I just set aside 10 minutes a day and I'll go in and look and kind of respond. I don't mean, to me, it doesn't seem like that much of a, a pain. Well, I mean, for each one, I mean, if you're going to write anything other than sort of just a, 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 a glib little comment or spo- response, if you're going to say something of substance, it's going to take some time. You know, um, I think on Startup Guild, I wrote a, a response to someone. It took me probably 20 minutes to compose that response. I mean, I don't like to do that kind of stuff because that's 20 minutes I could have been building something that probably would create more value ultimately than a comment. But I felt like I needed to respond to this question startup killed, but I, I don't know. I mean, I, it's like, I sort of feel like there, there's a lot of crossovers. There's a lot of people in startup guild that are also commenting on the podcast. And some of those people are also on Google plus and, I, you know, it's like, well, if I post something on Google Plus and they've saw it there, some of those people have already seen it. So they're going to be like, so if I post it on Startup Guild, they're going to be like, oh, I already saw that. Or you, you already well, mentioned I mean, that. I was thinking of, um, since we, and we did, we kind of spoke about this a little offline. And with Plugio, I'm thinking that soon and soon, you know, within the next two, three months of fully plugging in Facebook rather than just the Ping FM thing. And, and I guess it wouldn't be, you know, super hard for me to plug in all the, all the different APIs. I mean, I'm not sure about the blog, but I'm pretty sure I could get I could get Yammer into Plugio. I'm pretty sure I can get Facebook in there. Um, not sure I can get the blog in there in an easy, sensible way. But is that the kind of thing you were thinking about? Right. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah. So there's there's a couple of things. There's posting something. So there's there's you know posting a, a like a an idea or posting a link on something. I mean, I don't like the just posting links because I think that. I think that it's more interesting when you can say something about what's going on or what you're thinking about than rather, hey, I saw this. Like, if you're just doing that, you're not really uh, adding any own individual value other than the fact that you're just sort of a filter. So um, there's more than just posting a link. And in some cases, like in Twitter, it's 140 characters, so you can't post the same kind of thing that's going to go on Google Plus or Facebook. And something you might, but you might say, well, 
in some cases I want I could post things like I could click a checkboxes, yeah, put this in Startup Guild and put this in Google Plus because these are both, you know, five sentences long. Um, or put this other thing in both Twitter and Google Plus and Startup Guild because they're all links and they're relevant to all three. Yeah. Well, I mean, if, if you if you were services. doing a, a blog post or what, let's say you were posting a blog post, and I'm sure that you can do this. Just, I mean, here's this brings us back to the old thing about if you were using WordPress, right, rather than your, you know, homegrown blog, I think there is a lot of plugins that will auto auto post it to a lot of different networks. You know, I don't. Yeah, but see, I don't, I don't, I don't do uh, my 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 blog is less about like. It's more less of a blog, a post, like, hey, here's what I'm thinking today. It's like I sit down and write a, a thoughtful article, yeah. you know, like eight hours writing. This is something that will be hopefully a value of interest, you know, three or four years from now. That's the, that's the kind of stuff I, I aim to write. I aspire to write. So I don't, it's not like uh, the little uh, sort of things you might put on Google+. Did you look at post? It doesn't matter. Did you look at postlink.com that I sent you a link to there? I haven't. I haven't had time to look at it. So I just find it kind of a just. I think that's a problem that's going to have to be solved because, you know, the the and I hear people talking about this like, okay, well, Google Plus is pretty cool, but yet a lot of people already have so much invested in invested in Twitter or Facebook, and it's just like one more damn thing. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't think of a, I don't think of a blog as kind of the same sort of thing. I think of Twitter, Facebook, Google Plus. And to some degree, Startup Guild is kind of a closed forum, but a closed forum is not so much different. For the, at least the way I'm using it, than say Google Plus is. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. It's kind of well. Here's another related thing I wanted to ask you about, and I brought this up a little before. Is and the idea, the the question is, who is Justin Vincent <laughs> on Twitter? <laughs> Great, right? You know. So you know the the thing is, is that you know we we talked about the auto tweeting and and that whole issue, and so we we don't have to go into that. But the idea that you know you said that you'll you'll you have an an audience. You you've tried to cultivate an audience of of sort of a broad technical audience and you'll just tweet out links that you think will be relevant to this broad audience right but a lot of these things aren't things that you know about or aren't particularly interested in but you say you know that your a lot of your followers would be interested in it right mm -hmm. so i'm just kind of interested in, in that and that whole thing because when i think of twitter i think of it as it's sort of like an expression, okay, this is who I am. This is what I'm thinking about. This is what I think is cool. This is what I hate. This is what I like, whatever, you know, as opposed to like, I'm going to create an audience and I'm going to give them what they want. It doesn't really have anything to do with me. It's just sort of like this group of people that I ultimately want to have as an audience and I'm just going to try and make them happy. So I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I think it kind of breaks down to, you know, how you've, how you've formed as a person. Well, in my case it does. So when you're, when you're kind of bullied at school, uh, you know, when you're a, a younger kid, right, that plays a, a pretty big role in forming your personality. You know, I was a pretty sensitive kid. And and so going through that bullying scenario, it, at a certain point, your kind of spirit gets broken. And essentially, all you're kind of really looking for out of life is to be liked, you know, is for people to say, oh, yeah, he's OK. <laughs> and to basically get away right. from the pain that you experience through bullying. So what happens is huh. you kind of. Um, well, I, I don't think this is a general, but this is what happened for me anyway, is that my approach in life is generally to just kind of be a nice guy and please people, you know, just to be liked. Because ultimately, I think since I was a kid, that was something that was kind of important to me, just to be liked. And I know that for you, you've, you've kind of grown up in a very um, a fertile ground to grow a strong sense of self, right? Um, so there's, there hasn't been the same scenario you're much more um what's the word uncompromising 
you're much more uncompromising. You're much more, you know, sure of, of who you are in that kind of a sense. But because I'm, I'm not <laughs> for me, it's, it's just, I just have a different approach. So I think that's the underlying reason if you kind of want to get deep about it. Um, and then that just kind of echoes out to the way that I would maintain something like a Twitter account or a podcast or whatever. Like I wouldn't really want to be in that situation and take those incredibly strong viewpoints and standpoints because I don't like being in that situation where I'm alienating people. I see. So in some ways you may not express, you say, I'm just going to say a bunch of things that I think a lot of people like, as opposed to say, this is what I like. And it's, it's actually an expression of yourself so that if people said, oh, that's stupid, Justin, you're at risk. Is this part of it, right? I mean, the other thing is like, you know, you say, in the, in the question you just asked, you said, well, who is Justin Vincent? Well, that is a good question. Who is Justin Vincent? I mean, it, it, is that the guy who was lead singer of a band and who, you know, had groupies? Or is that the guy who was 250 pounds and very overweight and kind of depressed? Is that the guy who was bullied as a kid? You know, is that the guy who's got a, a tech podcast? I mean, I also my, you know, on my mum's side, like they're a very rich kind of and wealthy family. On my dad's side, they're a very, very poor family. So, like, is Justin Vincent, you know, a guy who's been brought up by rich people or poor people or whatever? So it's, once again, it's just it, this whole kind of sense of self is different because I've just seen so many different perspectives. You know what I'm saying? That makes sense. Okay, I like that. That was good. That make, that, ex, that explains it. <laughs> yeah, is that, because I remember we were talking about the, this, the podcast or what we we're going to try and do with the podcast early on and you were throwing out some ideas that we could do this, that, or the other thing. And I was like, look, I don't want to do anything that I'm not really excited about. I mean, I know there are topics that we could talk about that niches that we could, that we could fit in that would get a much bigger audience. I mean, we could, we could have a show about gardening or about uh, film reviews or about antiquing or golf. I don't know any other niche that could probably pull in a lot more people, but I'd pour me to tears, right? None of those things would interest me. So, uh, but I can only talk about things. I can only do something that I'm very excited about. Um, And uh, yeah, so I guess that's how I come from. I I, I remember my girlfriend in college, she was real high achiever and very driven. And I remember, this is when we first started dating, she got back from some, like, it was like a debate. She did debate in college and she also did like my United Model model UN kind of stuff. And I don't know. And she got back and I, from the weekend trip where they went and competed. And I said, well, so how'd it, I said, oh, so how'd it go? Did you have fun? She's like, what do you mean? I'm like, I don't know. Do you have fun? She's like, well, no, it's not about fun. I'm like, huh, then why are you doing it? <laughs> She's like, like, it just, she just like, we we're both totally missing the other person. Like I couldn't, I, I couldn't imagine doing something that wasn't, that I wasn't doing because I, I was loved doing it. You know, for every activity that I was involved in, it was because I was really excited about it. And she was doing things because it was a means to an end, because it looked good in a resume, because it would get her a job or get her into grad school or whatever it is. And um, so sometimes I guess, well, if take, from my perspective, well, I have a hard time. Well, know. take, for example, you know, my Twitter account. I mean, like, I find it fun to, I guess, for want of a better word, to delight the customers of that Twitter account. Like, I, I enjoy that, just the very aspect of, of giving people information that makes them makes their day better, you know, and I enjoy, and I, I can tell that I'm doing that because I get retweeted and I get a lot of people saying to me, thanks a lot for the great information and great links, you know, and whatever way I come across those, those links or that information, I don't really mind so much. The main thing I, I mind about is that there's a lot of people 
who end up having a better day because they've they've seen some valuable and interesting information. So for me, the, the links isn't so bad. I mean, for you, it's very important for you to express yourself in what you say. But for me, I, I've got this kind of other thing where I'm like, well, I just, you know, I'm, I'm happy to just make someone's day in whatever way I can. All right. I, yeah. Okay. I buy that. <laughs> Sweet. That makes sense. All right. I like it. I like it. That's good. That's, that's, I think that's valid. That, that makes sense. So, um, the last, the, since the last time we spoke about Plugio, I have been, um, thinking about it and working on one thing that people have been asking for, for a long time since the, since the inception of Plugio, I've got this left nav concept. So you can have a long list of different streams and people so in down your big left nav it can like scroll um you know what i mean by left nav right left navigation yeah sure yeah so you can ha- you can have i don't know you could have like f- <laughs> i just thought of a, of a funny blog post my big left nav <laughs> <laughs> talking about the design <laughs> layout is on my big well, left because, nav because like with with tweet deck you <laughs> just you can just have like five streams or whatever across the screen sure. so uh-huh. I, I like the way that uh, google um does it where in in gmail so that's the kind of concept that I've gone with with Plugio, right? So you can have lots of different things in the left navigation. And sure. just just like with Gmail, you can have, you know, a full screen of them. But there's no way to sort them into folders or directories. So that's what I've been working on. And um, that's quite, uh, you know, working with jQuery, that's quite difficult to do. Um, jQuery has, because also the way that the left nav I've got there is at the moment is it's sortable. You can just drag these items up and down and it will sort them. And jQuery has this sortable component where you just initialize it and it makes it real easy to, to make it sortable. And they've got another component, which is droppable, which means that you can drag things onto things. The problem is, is they don't have a sortable droppable component. So you, right. you know what? I, I need to have like a directory on the left-hand side and then people can drag it. So I've been, I'd say I've done a fair old amount of work, probably like two days worth of work of just uh, creating a sortable droppable, but not uh, not in a way that I could put it out as an open source but just in a way that it will work kind of exclusively for plugio um just because i don't know i guess i've just been hacking away at it right and it's just yeah anyway that's what i've been working on did you build it from scratch or did you build on top of jquery's droppable sortable features i i did i'm not using their droppable i'm just using their sortable so they've got the sortable list which i'm already using and then i've kind of got this situation where i'm i'm attaching a class called folder to any items that are a folder and then what I'm doing is I'm basically binding the event for that thing to kind of look at the on hover as, as people are like dragging it across those, those folders so that it, it's kind of got its own responsibility of saying, did someone drop something on me? Should I, you know, uh, should I then t- uh, classify that as being belonging to me? So that's, right. that's the kind of way I've been working at it. That's, that's pretty slick. I mean, did, so, um, well, okay, before I ask you about uh, Plugio in general, I'll just uh, say this one thing. Uh, so, you remember the, um, the, the scroll bar, the custom scroll bar uh, component I built? Yeah, I, I want to get my, yeah, can I get my hands yeah, on that? So, yeah, yeah, so, so here's an update on it. So, I, I built one, um, I, Guyon helped me, uh, spend about an hour or two helped me with, uh, with it, but it was sort of like about a hundred, I don't know, like 160, 170 lines. And it perfectly mimicked the, uh, Google's new custom scroll bar. I've seen it in a couple places. Primarily you see it in Google maps. It's really slick and very minimalist. And it's exactly what I wanted in the God view for, um, Uber's God view, which is built sort of on Google maps and sort of has that Google maps look. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think you were talking about, 
you know, it would be a good idea if I open sourced it or, or released it or whatever. And well, so after Guyon helped me out a little bit, he's like, hey, I think I'll just take that and go and jQuerify it and, and sort of make it customizable. So he, um, he spent, I don't know how many hours on his own, um, tricking it out. <laughs> it's like pimp my component, you know? And so he's, he's, he's totally pimped it out. And so it can have all the, you know, you can have horizontal or vertical scrolling and you can do like, you know, have the up and down arrows and it has all the things that, that you might want in generally in scroll, scroll bars, but you don't, don't exist in sort of that Google custom scroll bar. Yeah. And it's done. It's only, I think it's less than 400 lines and it's really tight. It's really pretty, really beautiful code. Um, and it's all jQuery. So I, I think he's just fin- finishing touches on it and he's going to open source it. So you'll have that. It's sort of, sort of like that, remember that J scroll prane, which is the component you tried to use, yeah. which you were kind of fighting with. It's kind of like that done right. So th- this, is an, this is an interesting discussion because we'll, we'll be working on any food together and I will be building front end JavaScript code. And looking at yours and Guyon's code, it's very, very tight. There's, there's no comments. It's, I guess, I guess it's sort of self-commented in, in the kind of names and variables that you choose. But it's, yeah. it, it, you try and make your code to be very beautiful and very organized and very object-oriented, right? And sure. my code mm-hmm. tends to be, I just kind of build it as I go along and hack it together and ma- make it work bit by bit. <laughs> and um, I'm definitely not object-oriented in the same way as you are. And um, I, I use quite a lot of um, templating, whereas you'll do things like insert elements into the DOM and append child, attach child, whereas I'll just write out the HTML and use inner HTML. So I'm kind of worried about kind of working with you in that way. I'm a bit scared. Like, what, 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 how are you going to react to my code? Here's the way I work. It, it, I, um, I, don't, I don't like to dick around with other people's code. <laughs> the, and and uh, I know that that that's sort of rare because most developers who've worked more than a few years in a professional setting have to work with other people's code. But I've somehow managed my whole career to avoid that, right? <laughs> for the most part, and uh, I, I hate working on other people's code. And unless it's sort of everything's done to standards and it's very clean and organized, and you know, like sort of like professional code that you'd say delivered by is delivered by a big company. Uh, if it's not, I just, I just don't like to deal with it. So, and it kind of reminds me of how, when I was in college, uh, both my roommates were, were incredible slobs <laughs> where I'm a very, very neat and clean and organized. And so I didn't have a problem because my, you could see my part of the room was spotless, but as soon as you cross this threshold, it was just garbage and stuff flowing off under the bed and unmade <laughs> beds and dirty clothes everywhere. I'm like, that's your, that's your world. This is my world. I'm not going to touch your world. Don't touch my world. So it's like, if you want to write it in some weird way, unorthodox, whatever, that I'm not going to touch it. I'm not going to help you with it. I'm not going to, you know, it's your deal. You know, we're just going to say, this is how it's going to work. And you have to make it work. If you want me to work on it, you want my input on it, then you're going to have to create some kind of standard because I can't, I, I just will have a hard time wanting to like, work on that code. And I kind of done that in a lot of cases. I always kind of sandbox myself. It's like, I'm here, here are the interface. This is the inputs. This is kind of like where we attach. Right. And uh, you do your thing. I don't care. It's kind of, you do whatever you want, whatever, you know, you're, you, you know, but it's, but you own it. I guess that's, that's okay. I mean, it's, it's a little bit sad, um, but uh, I think it's okay. Um, so we'll just kind of very clearly delineate which parts. So for example, if I'm building the, the scheduling widget, right? That's, that's mm-hmm. got the whole calendar thing. We'll just have a touch point. We'll just work out an interface and basically what the data interchange is going to be. And I'll do the, I'll do it. I'll do it my way. And that'll be my baby. 
Yeah, and that's kind of weird. I mean, I I kind of don't like. I, I it's probably just because I've I don't know. It's probably personality quirk. I, I'm probably because I'm a control freak, I guess, and I'm a I am a perfectionist, so I don't like people messing with my code. That's <laughs> been the same way. I don't like messing with other people's code. So I'm more than happy to say, hey, I live and let live, right? You, you do your thing, I'll do my well, thing. Well, how do you share with Guyon then? Guyon, um, like does do you, does well, does he work on your code? I mean, we tend to code it together. So when we're coding, it's not like he goes off and codes for a month and says, here. Here's there's the code, you know, and, and in fact, when he does do that and, you know, we've done that in a couple projects sort of like where he's collaborated some um, with me and uh, in, a, in, a, in a situation where we aren't coding together. So, for instance, he wrote a component for um, for Uber called Mongo Wrapper. So Mongo, if Mongo went down or there were any issues with Mongo not responding, he he had we had kind of a wrapper where key things would stay ordered and scheduled and it would reinsert things into Mongo when Mongo came back up. You know, and I look at that code and I'm like, I don't, I don't really know what it is. You know, I look at it and I'm like, it just, it's like, you know, <laughs> it's whatever, man. It's your deal. I, I mean, it's just too complicated. It would take me hours to kind of decipher what he did. Um, and it's just, I don't know. It's just how I think I have to, I have to build it up mentally to understand it. I'm not really great at deciphering other people's um, code and I don't really enjoy it. I know other people like it and they enjoy it and they're really good at it, but it's not my thing. Well, that that's interesting. And, and that's probably why you've had to take the take the career that you have and you know not worked in a large company as part of a team um and it's in a coding team because obviously you can't yeah. you can't take that viewpoint in, in in those kind of scenarios yeah i'm not a i'm not a team player in that way i guess <laughs> i'm a cowboy coder or something you know <laughs> i just like everything i do is kind of like greenfield you know proof of concept or the first version i build everything out from scratch like, i got like you know i it's got like a commando team right you send in your half dozen or dozen commandos and they take the beach you know and then you send in a regular army right you know and, and it's like i you know i think of myself as like recon or kind of just go in and you know it's like there's no there's no there's nothing built we have no idea how to solve this and then i'm just like built something and make it work so that's my strength that's what i like to do it's your strength Other- and your weakness yeah nice. well any strength is your weakness right so it's like anytime you have an extreme personality characteristic it's usually you can be exploited on the other side yeah. So you you can always look at it as a weakness and a strength. And if someone's really confident, well, then sometimes that's kind of overconfident, right? They they don't uh, you know they don't cover their butt and they don't you know look well. What if things don't work out? Or if they're not very confident, they're too cautious. Well, sometimes when you're too cautious, you don't take advantage of opportunities. You're near, you know whatever. I mean, it's just there's, there's it can go either way. And absolutely, yeah. I mean, that's that's my that's just who I am. That's my strength and weakness. So so yesterday, um, I saw this documentary about freeloaders. And uh, they spoke a lot about beggars. You know, the, you know, like the, as when you're driving down Los Angeles and you'll see the ones with cars, who will say we'll work for food and all that kind of stuff. Sure, sure. So um, they, they explained that the average beggar makes about eight bucks an hour, which is actually, okay. <laughs> which, which, and, oh, and wage. which is basically 30,000 a year tax free. What? Yep. Is it that much? That's how much the average beggar makes. And, there's they're like they are fully catered for in terms of if you know in terms of having somewhere to stay kind of soup kitchen all that kind of stuff if they want but right so so they 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 just went you know in a very detailed way about how a lot of these beggars are on 30 grand a year and i was wondering of all professions and businesses does begging basically have the highest possible efficiency there is no product to make there's barely any effort required all you got to do is dress down and start asking people for money. 
You know, what it reminds me of is the whole um, uh, game theory uh, uh, cooperation defection uh, f- f- sort of framework. Yeah, go. So you know, we, you know, when you talk about um, prisoner's dilemma, yeah, and uh, you know, just for anyone who's who's new to the show, we've talked about this a couple times in in the in past shows, but prisoner's dilemma basically works out. So like, if you know, let's say Justin, you and I go, and we decide we're going to rob a bank, and we get caught, and they take us into separate rooms, and the detective goes and talks to you and he says, listen, Justin, you know, basically I think you're a good guy. I think Jason is a bad guy. And I think he, uh, I think he got you into this. And uh, if you tell us that he got you into this and we're gonna let you off with, you know, a few months probation and he's going to go to jail for, you know, five years or 10 years or something. Um, but you know, if he tells us that you were the guy, it was your idea and you got him into this, then you could be the one going to jail for five years and he's going to go, He's going to be going home and going probation. Um, and the other scenario is where we both shut up and we both, you know, I, I can't remember how the payoff works, but let's say we both go to jail for, you know, 90 days or something. It's not as good as defecting um, while the other person cooperates. So if, if, if we defect, that means we, if we each cooperate, we, we both agree to shut our mouths, then it's the medium payoff. If, if, if I cooperate and you defect, so I shut my mouth, but then you turn on me, you you get more than you should, and I get screwed. So, what was the optimum pattern? Well, and, and then if you if you do what's called iterated prisoner's dilemma, which is that let's say that you and I are each sitting a, 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 across from each other on sort of like this screen, we can't see each other, and we're going to play this game a hundred times and over. I, we each have two buttons. One button says cooperate. One says defect. If we both cooperate, we both get a point. Um, or you know, if 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 you if you cooperate and I defect, I get three points. Hmm. And, uh, and uh, if, I, if I get three, and you get zero points, right? So the idea is, is, so we both get go. And then it's like, I cooperate and you defect. And so you get three points, I get nothing. And then you do that over and I say, okay, well, he, I'm going to cooperate again because hopefully he'll realize I'm just cooperating. He'll cooperate with you. But then you keep defecting, right? Yeah. So you keep racking up points. I'm like, come on, jackass, you know, cooperate. Let's cooperate together. Well, it turns out, like, what's the best strategy? Should I, if you defect, should I cooperate? Or should I just keep trying to cooperate, waiting for you to defect, or whatever it is? And it turns out the optimum strategy is what's called um, tit for tat. So you, I'll do whatever you do. You, you cooperate, I'll cooperate. You screw me, I'll screw you. Okay. You know, you do it over and over. And so it's kind of like in, 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 in the world, there are always going to be people who are going to defect. They're not going to cooperate. So we can say we're all going to cooperate, and we're all going to, like, do our best, and we're all going to, you know, not steal from each other. We're not going to lie. We're not going to cheat. We're going to work hard. We're going to tell the truth, that kind of stuff. But there are always going to be people who are going to defect. They're going to think they can get away with it. They get more than their fair share. And the problem is that how much do you want to crack down on that defecting? Because if you crack down on defecting too much, you start living in an onerous society. Like, so if like you say, I, you know, you talk about like pirating software. Yeah. If soft, if, 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 if you, if you're too onerous about, your um, digital rights management or about suing people or sending people to jail because they you know, didn't pay for a song, then it sort of kills things. It kind of ruins things. If you're too light, you, you, sometimes you can give away too much. So it's kind of finding that right balance. Like, okay, a certain number of people are always, are always going to defect. And you just have, those are kind of parasites on society. You just kind of have to let that go. How does this remind you of that? Well, beggars are parasites, right? They're defecting. You know, they're not cooperating. They're just like, look, I'm just going to get here and I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to make you feel guilty by being here. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm going to be the same guy. I'm going to be here next year and the year after that and the year after that. And I'm going to 
keep defecting. They've basically cut out the middlemen of work, effort, and product, and they're just going straight for the money. Just give me money. Give me money. They're defecting. That's defection. And then you pay them so you don't feel guilty. And 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 it's it's it's. it's, I mean, I'm only going off what was said on the documentary. So I just want to put in a disclaimer and say I could be completely wrong about this. But going off what they said on the documentary, and it was Fox News. Well, it was Fox. So you know, there's a good old chance that it was wrong. Um, but just going off that, <laughs> they would say they said that it's very unlikely that that someone in that situation could starve because there are kind of places where they can eat, et cetera, et cetera. But what they what they can do is they can make an average of eight dollars an hour, thirty thousand dollars a year, and they can spend that on alcohol and drugs. Yeah, I, and I go through cycles of like where I'll you know I'll give beggars money, and then I go through cycles where I'll get burned out on it because I, I'll give someone money and then the same person come to me like three weeks later and tell me the same BS story mm-hmm. and I'll just get them like 10 bucks or something or 20 bucks. How many a couple times where I really bought into their story and then the same jackass came up to me like a month or two later and, and said, give me the same song and dance about the power being broke down and need to catch the bus and this and that. And I was after that. And then it, it takes me a while to get over that. Cause I get kind of pissed off and I'm like, all right, I'm not going to, I'm not, falling for this crap from anyone but then sometimes i'll just pay it just because like you know what i just i want to get this over with you know here's a dollar two dollars yeah I just get it over with i don't want to feel guilty and i don't want to deal with this like they'll come up and you'll be sitting outside at a cafe and they'll just be sitting there talking to you and you're trying to have a conversation with someone you're like okay i'll just pay them to leave us alone <laughs> it's know? an incredible thing to do like just to to make people but <laughs> I, I was about to say to make people feel guilty to give you money but actually right on the on this show, when we ask for donations, isn't that basically the same thing? I mean, aren't we just basically begging? It's a little bit like I guess it is a little bit begging. I mean, we're trying not to make people. I hope we're not making people feel guilty. I'm hope hopefully people we make them feel good if they give money, but they shouldn't feel bad if they don't. I guess you know, no one is. Ob- I don't want anyone to feel obligated to to donate, but uh, you know, I guess you know, I think people when you give something to something you believe in. Because we're not lying. We're not trying to mislead anybody. We're creating something that somebody is actually getting value out of, right? If you're listening to the podcast, then you're getting some kind of value, you're being entertained or whatever. Then, and if the acknowledgement, if, if they go, okay, well, actually, Jason and Justin do spend a fair amount of time putting this together. So, you know, what's a few bucks to, you know, show my appreciation? So I guess so. that's the same leap from like begging to busking then. So, people, you know what busking is, right? That what people will clean off your windshield. No, no, but, but well, busking, as far as I know, is like where people will play music or do perform performance art or oh, something right, like that. Oh, right, 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 right. Okay. So they can, so they'll entertain you. So it, like in in London in Covent Garden, right? There's a lot of entertainers, and they'll they'll do they'll do an act, they'll do juggling or whatever. And there's, I mean, there's some pretty good ones. And when they start doing it, the crowd starts gathering around them, and then you know they have like I don't know a couple of hundred, two between two and four hundred people gathered around them, and then after it, they will say, okay, you know, this is what I do for a living, and they. They pass around the hat, and I mean, they make a lot of money. I mean, they'll- see, I have no problem with giving money in that. There's been a couple of times where I've just seen some amazing singers, right. and uh, you know, I'm more than happy to 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 give give them money. I, I, don't, I have no problem with that. I, I just hate it when I feel like I have to give someone money just so they'll go away, you know, because they're just going to sit there and keep talking at you and kind of ruin ruin your your uh, your meal or whatever. And just like this is a nightmare. But, but the, uh, the worst, the, the most annoying thing is, is like when you don't like. So, I mean. I'm the same as you. Sometimes I've given money, sometimes I haven't. But but now that I saw that documentary, I'm I'm angry with the people who 
who kind of go, no, you didn't give me anything, you tosser. You know, like they're, they're pissed off with you that you didn't give them anything. Like, it's rare, though. Most <laughs> most of them will say, you know, bless you or have a good day. Or, yeah, right. Most of them don't do that. You know, most of them just like lay on the guilt a little more. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so right. next time you come through, they're like, they'll, 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 they'll give you a parting guilt shot. You know, oh, there was there was a guy in Camden Town when I worked in uh, in the UK. And like, I don't know, for a couple of months, I would go by and and, I would, and he would say, have you got any change? And I, I would know. And he'd be like, oh, no problem. Have a fantastic day. And like after a few months of that, I'm like, oh my god, I can't bear this anymore. I have to give this guy <laughs> right. Like- he's just, he's just, he's just investing. He's investing. <laughs> in guilt. He's just gonna invest guilt. Eventually, he's gonna hit your guilt threshold. <laughs> yeah. And eventually, did. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. Huh. All right. Well, let's let's move on. Okay. Let's sure. Talk Go about something. So let's say. Well. Um. All right. Let's. I want to ask you about uh, plugins. What's the? Let's get the numbers. You know, the numbers are they're they're kind of hovering the same. Um. <clears throat> it's still about two and a half thousand. It's it's come up a bit from last month where it went down because I lost money last month, um, mm-hmm. but it's come up a bit. But I'm kind of having some some ideas and some strategies on how to push forward with Plugio. Um, <clears throat> there's a lot of tools out there, right? I mean, it's in a very competitive space, and I'm really trying to hone what it is about Plugio that makes it different to those other tools. And I think that I'm I have an idea. Um, some of the people who get, because I, I want to find people who get real value from it, like who just love it, who think it's the best thing ever. And those people that I see um, who really, really love it, who really rave about it, are basically social media junkies. Like they're people mm-hmm. who have like 40,000 followers plus, right. and they're obsessed with, with social media. And so they've just tried all the tools out there and they're looking for something that can really make their life fast. And it's, it's not even so much about the scheduling. I mean, that's part of it. But it's also the interface and the whole way that the, the software works, because those are the those were the guys who were always like bugging me and saying, you know, can you do this little thing? Can you do this little thing? It, like it, it would be so much faster if I could just click on everyone's icon and thank them all in one go. So th- I've put a whole bunch of features like that. So what I'm thinking is I might take a different approach. And rather than getting so focused on the whole scheduling and all that kind of stuff, building following, I may think, right. Plugio is for for that kind of a person. It's kind of like the Ferrari of social media tools. It's like a streamlined power tool. Uh, I mean, it's yeah. just a, yeah. So, so my thought is right. That also gives me an opportunity to raise the prices because those kind of guys will have the money and have the inclination and the will to pay for a tool. So I'm thinking, right, how raise the prices and maybe find those guys and just target them and market to those guys rather than just marketing it to a more broad audience of people just trying to grow their following. Well, okay. We, we talked about um, this a little bit offline, which is the idea of the, you have two separate um, sort of orthogonal, I, I, I think, uh, customer types. Yeah. One is the uh, sort of the power user, the, the people who have 20, 40, 50,000 followers. Yeah. Um, they have, they have a need for Plugio for one reason. And then you have the people who are like the social media branding people who are managing Ten or twenty accounts for their clients, and the and you're kind of selling it as if like okay, if you have one account, you're you only pay whatever it is five or nine, nine ten dollars a month. Dollars, yeah, yeah, and then if you you were selling, well, if you have more clients, then you pay more. But if it turns out that you're not really, that might be the whole. You might be that that's orthogonal to what you need to be doing. What you need to be doing is charging based on a feature set for power clients, not worrying about multiple accounts. Or or if yeah. you do, you have two 
you, you, you sort of segment your uh, client base into two categories. So you're either a business user or you're a power user. And it has a different feature set, a different feel, and you sell you have different pricing um, structure for each one. Yeah, that's what I think. And, and um, that's the reason why I'm building this, this uh, left navigation organizational tool, because I'm thinking, right, I'm going to rework the videos and rework the branding um, or certainly have landing pages aimed at these kind of power users, these real heavy social media junkies. And one of the things that they keep on asking that I've been putting off because it's just hard to build is this, this way of organizing um, all your streams in folders. So I thought, well, the best thing to do is to build that real kind of core feature that, that the power users keep on asking for that I've been putting off. And then I'll redo the videos and I'll do landing pages specifically for power users, find a way to build an emailing list for power users, and then basically send them to that landing page. Yeah, sounds good. So, so what are, have you, are you up over 3,000 now? No, still 2,500. It, it, it hasn't really grown that much because I've got to this point where the churn is now kind of canceling out the growth. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you gotta, you gotta do something, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of numbers, what's the, what's the update on the juice diet? Ah, uh, well, you know what? Um, I did really good. I did 10 days, um, and I lost 11 pounds in 10 days. And then I went on for another nine day. Well, I guess maybe six days of juice and vegetable. I still did good. But then I kind of went downhill. So the last week's been bad. <laughs> and, oh, really? and especially, you know, going away for the weekend with Georgie <laughs> and having a little bit of a holiday vacation. But, um, yep, I'm back on it now. So we'll see. But uh, I'm still... Have you put on weight or are you just kind of, are you still down? No, I've, I've, I've kind of, I've, I've been down and up. I think I'm just down. I've lost like 10 pounds. I'm kind of hovering around there right now. So I, okay. I want to go down again. So I need to get back into it. That's what I'm doing. Yeah, well, I think the important thing is with diets and any, any kind of um, effort like this is that when you do fall off the wagon, you jump back on. Because I think a lot of people use it as an excuse to quit. Like, oh, I fell off for a couple of days. And they do that with like working out and running or, or anything. And I think it's this important thing is that when you fall down and you, you don't just use it as a reason to. Well, what about yourself? I mean, how's, the, how's your uh, uh, workout? Workout, yeah. Weight loss plan. So I'm down. It's interesting. Um, I'm only down about five or six pounds, but I've lost two inches off my waist. Um, Are you still doing like an hour of? Uh, I do an hour of every day. elliptical. I missed Saturday because I was so behind on work. I had to. I just wanted, and I was going to have a lot of family stuff the rest of the weekend. So I had to. I felt like I had to just you know work on Saturday, but uh, I, I haven't missed that many days. I do you know full hour. Every single time I go to the gym, so I probably average five to six days a week, and uh, I do, an, and then of course I lift weights for a half an hour. So I put on muscle as well since I've been lifting pretty heavy. So I, I guess I probably I probably lost like maybe seven, seven or eight pounds of fat, mm. and that's why I've lost so much off my waist. Oh, so cool. it works. It's it's just a it's a different approach. It's I mean, tough, you just, yeah. I gotta you gotta work. I you gotta. I mean, an hour on the elliptical is pretty brutal, but you know, it's it, for me it's better than. Uh, restricting my diet i'm i'm not good at restricting my diet and i think when it comes to exercising and dieting you you, you need to know yourself you need to know what you what you can do and what you can't do there's certain things that you're just not going to work for you and and some like some people like to get up at five in the morning and go for a run and i hate working out in the morning i love the idea of it i would never stay with it mm. I, I just i can't stand it and so you know that would never that would be something i would never try and do well um Moving on to a different topic, 
Uh, okay, I got some. Okay, cool. I got some. Do you have an idea? You have. I've got, I've got something, but if you if you've got something, go for it. Yeah. Okay. So I have I have a good idea. Another good idea for a blog post. This one I think I really want to write. <laughs> okay, and okay. I think I have a good, I think I would have a good title for it too. Um, here here it is. Um, uh, anonymous versus intellectual ventures is going to be like uh, aliens versus predator. I'm really glad that you brought up Anonymous because that's exactly what I want to talk about. So we'll, so we'll bring up my one after, after you bring up your one. So, so what do you mean by that? Yeah, so I think that Anonymous is at some point going to try and take down, is going to hack Intellectual Ventures. They're going to take down Intellectual Ventures. Um, the reason being is Anonymous hates sort of evil uh, behavior especially people who are hiding things and then sort of you know they've been targeting more towards like governments but i think intellectual ventures with their 1300 or so shell companies suing all these other tech companies a lot of them small tech companies not necessarily behemoths that can sort of fight for themselves i have a feeling at some point that the hacker group in anonymous is is going to see some alignment with sort of the technology um tech group the people are getting uh, attack, attacked by um, intellectual ventures, and since and they're going to see intellectual ventures as a target because they they're they're supposed to be everything's supposed to be so hidden, and so I'm thinking they might at some point try and hack and 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 put all the stuff on the open all who are all you know and and put it all on the web all 1300 shell companies their entire patent portfolio their entire strategy and uh, that would probably take them down. Well. I'm glad you brought that up. That'll be just like, and the reason it's like anonymous versus, uh, I mean, uh, aliens versus predator is like aliens is sort of like this horde of uh, this swarm. I mean, they're not necessarily, it's not in an, a, a single intelligence. It's just this really lethal swarm and predator, which is like intellectual ventures because intellectual ventures is a predator. They are, they are. It's also this concept of, they both happen to be on the earth and they're like, they weren't really paying attention to each other. And then all of a sudden, they happen to be in the same forest and they notice each other and it's like, holy shit, <laughs> I'm going to attack you now. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I wonder. I'm just kind of, uh, I'm kind of like, this would be a great thing to watch. I would love to read about that. Of course, I absolutely abhor intellectual ventures. So I would love to see Anonymous or someone take them down. Okay, so you, you sent me this link to, um, it's djmash.at forward slash release forward slash users.html. And basically, it's an. No idea what you're talking about. Oh, well, it was. It's an. It's when Anonymous released the usernames and passwords from everyone on the the Bart database, right? Right. The hot Bart act, which it, probably was not a very good idea. Well, I that's think what I want. That's what I want to talk to you about, mm -hmm. right? Because yeah. it, it, not a very good. I mean, if you look at this, basically what they've done is they've they've released the usernames and passwords, like the the real passwords and usernames and email addresses of like I don't know hundreds or thousands of people. So. And then you look, you read the the writing. It's basically the the word. It's saying we've released this to show that Bart doesn't give a shit about its customers, and you know um, the governments and government agencies of the world are becoming tyrannical and oppressive. And it, to me, it's it's almost scripted. It's like that's what you would write if you wanted to make people hate. This is what you would do, and this is what you would write if you wanted to make people hate something. And I just wonder if Anonymous is completely Machia Machiavellian and it's just people who are trying to get the internet censored and shut down because this just looks like an inside job. It just seems no, no, ridiculous. No, no. No, see, yeah. Okay. Okay. So 
that what you're saying it's not anonymous. What you're saying is a false flag attack. So a false flag attack is when um, you, generally a government would attack itself and blame it on some enemy yes. to get the, everyone fired up, right? And there have been a lot of yeah. Well, Machiavellian is something that you do some well. Okay, you know, it definitely is Machiavellian, but it's it specifically is a false flag attack. And um, you know, there's the famous ones of the Reichstag fire where um, the Nazis uh, torch the the, uh, the Reichstag, which I think is like the Parliament or something of um, you know of Germany at the time, and uh, blamed it on the uh, Poles, I believe. And like, oh, they attacked us, they burned down. And so then, you know, they go and invade Poland, right? Turned out all thing was fake. And, um, you know, there's, you know, there's a lot of evidence that something like the Gulf of Tonkin incident, which, you know, sort of got us into, which was the, the straw that broke the camel's back that got us into Vietnam was, could possibly have been a false flag attack. And, and, and we, we, um, anyway. Well, this, yeah, look, so, I'm just saying this looks like one because it's like, why, why would they, that, that hurts people, right? It hurts people to release their passwords. It hurts people to release their emails. Like, they, they have to cancel that email address. They have to start using different passwords. Like, it, it, it opens people up to being hacked so badly because you can take their email address and try that same password on all lots of different services like PayPal, et cetera, et cetera, right? So why, you know, why would they do that? And speak with, I mean, okay, these guys are clever enough to hack into these places, but then they're so stupid that they use ridiculous language like some kind of, thug with no brains okay why would they do that okay well first of all anonymous is not a centrally controlled entity it's just a huge it's like a mob right there is no leader there are no leaders it's just it's mob role so you don't know there could be some people who are very bright and very conscientious about what they're doing and why they're doing it and there could be other uh, others involved who are not we're not that sophisticated or don't care or are just kind of doing the wrong things for the wrong reasons. And it all gets sort of thrown under the, uh, you know, this umbrella of anonymous. But also, I mean, let's just say, let's just, okay, let's say that we are uh, some government agency like, I don't know, the CIA or something. And we've decided it's our mandate that we are going to disrupt and discredit um, this uh, hacking group called anonymous. How do we do it? Well, what we would do is we would go and, and maybe hack things like that, that that are very closely related to what Anonymous was doing because Anonymous was involved with the BART stuff and they were gonna they were gonna I guess people from Anonymous were gonna be part of this protest or whatever. But then you go and you do something like that and you write some stuff like you said that it just seems really stupid to put up there and it's just gonna make people hate you and and that happens all the time. The CIA has been known. I'm not saying the CIA did in this case, but the CIA has been known to do that in a number of countries. I mean that's sort of how. The, there's two, there's a couple arms of the CIA. There's the analyst division, but there's also what the special activities um, group, which you know does all this sort of stuff in in uh, different countries. And there's just tons of documented evidence about you know how we've done it in Africa, Central America, Asia. I mean, you can go on Wikipedia and read about it. But um, yeah, yeah. So that's what I think. So, so yeah. So you think it's a pla- you think it's false flag? Uh, it it seems to me. It seems black to, ops. It seems to I me. Like I mean, it's just it, because. I don't know. I like the way you think, Vincent. It just, too, it just seems too stupid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. If, it's the, if it's them, I mean, okay, fair enough. <laughs> um, mm. Okay, so that, that's what I want to say about that. Well, speaking of, um, you know, uh, I don't know, stuff like that, uh, well, as long as we're on the dark side, um, I, um, there's a movie that comes out that looks like it'd be kind of good called Apollo 18. 
Have you heard of oh, that? Oh yeah, Is yeah, it- that's, uh, that's yeah, I have, yeah, but not too much. But I saw I saw a, a trailer for it. It looks just like a sci-fi though. So it look yeah okay. So I think the premise of it is that Apollo, I think Apollo seventeen was the last Apollo um, launch, and I guess the idea is that Apollo eighteen was a secret launch or something, and then things went bad. That apparently they encountered like an alien, ancient alien technology on the moon or something like that, and they may have sent like two other Apollo missions after that that went to investigate this you know supposed alien technology. It's kind of cool how they're doing it because. Um, I guess there's some guy who says he was from an Apollo 20, like he's claiming that he was an Apollo 20 astronaut. Okay. And, and they brought this story to the Weinstein brothers, uh, who the Weinstein, they have their own, uh, you know, it's production, um, production house and, uh, they financed the movie and, um, you know, who knows if there's, you know, if it's, if there's any truth to any of this, most likely not, but, um, it's a great story. Right. Yeah. And, um, and uh, the way they're doing it is kind of like Blair Witch. You remember Blair Witch? You remember how that was? Um, yeah, it was very viral. It was it was viral, and it kind of viral. Yeah. People weren't sure if it was true or not. They weren't totally clear on like this is just a story. Then and, and I think kind of like uh, Paranormal Activity is something that's more recent that was like that, sort of independent. They're kind of doing that with Apollo eighteen, but it looks kind of good. I was like, that looks it looks. Uh, I liked I liked Blair Witch a lot. I thought that was a great movie. I thought it was um, brilliantly executed. It was well done and well yeah, well marketed as well. I can tell you, man, that scared that crap. That was the scariest movie <laughs> I think I ever saw. I gave me the creeps for for a while. I was like, ooh, jeez. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. But I know I just saw it today. I thought Apollo 18 looked like it would be an entertaining, entertaining movie. So speaking of um, speaking of uh, UFOs and alien stuff, there's a couple of interesting things. I, I, I started to bring it up, I think it was last show, but we didn't have time to talk about it, which was that um, the, the title of it, and this has been uh, covered in a lot of places, but the specific article was in Engadget. It says, and NASA finds DNA components in meteorites says they originated in space. And uh, I, think, I think the original article came from space.com. Yeah. And um, so they- I said that to you, didn't I? Uh, did I you? I think so, yeah. Anyway, go on, go on. Okay, so I, I can't, I guess NASA analyzed samples from 12 different meteorites using mass, a mass spectrometer and liquid chromatography, and they found traces of adenine, guanine, and a variety of molecules known as uh, nucleobase analogs, which are sort of the building blocks for our DNA. Yep. And they also included three um, that are rarely found on Earth. So what's interesting is these are 12 completely different meteorites, not like pieces of the same meteorite, okay? And they all had these these elements, these base elements of DNA, and it was all proven, shown that none of this stuff was sort of um, contaminated by our environment. Like they did, they, they described the chemical process to prove that it, this was this was ingrained in the meteorite. This wasn't something. Oh, it came in our atmosphere, and so it must be um, from us. But what's cool is that they, they, these rare analogs that they're kind of like nuclear bases, a nucleo. Uh, nucleo base bases, but they're but they're different. They're kind of like inverted or something. Um, so I thought that was really cool because that idea of panspermia, which is that the building blocks of life or maybe even very bact- early bacterial life or whatever, didn't originate on Earth, on Earth, but actually might originate somewhere else. And then for meteorites came, you know, landed on Earth and then it, you know, it evolved from there. Well, I think that's kinda... very cool. And I mean, that's something that, I mean, I, a lot of people would go, oh, well, that's just complete crap. And they would go, I, I just don't believe that something like that would be possible, that life could have been seeded from the stars. But for me, yep. I just think. Well, I don't see how it could be. Yeah. I don't. I don't see it any less likely than than evolving here, right? I mean, I I don't know. Evolve on Earth, evolve somewhere else. 
I mean, who knows about four billion years ago? And so what was interesting, I just saw something this morning. I don't have the link to it here, but I read it this morning. Um, and it was about, um, I guess, the, the, some scientists just discovered uh, evidence that life that was three, three, that existed three and a half billion years ago was not oxygen-based. It was based on sulfur. Hmm. It was no oxygen on the earth at that point in time. And uh, based on that, that it was like an ideal, that, that, that there was very little sunlight. It was kind of like a thick sulfur atmosphere uh, of, of some type and that the, um, the water that existed was like really warm and that, you know, these, these early organisms were sulfur-based. So this idea that, like, or that, that very early sing, single cellular life had to evolve on Earth and it had to be oxygen-based and all these kinds of things is not necessarily true which means that, and then we keep finding all these exoplanets all over the place now that we have more powerful telescopes. I mean, it just looks more and more possible that, you know, we may not be the only source of life in the universe, which is pretty cool. Hey, you sent me a link um, how a Twitter-based hedge fund beat the stock market. You know, I didn't get a chance to read it. I, um, oh, oh. That, was one of the, that was one of the five links. I probably like 40, like probably 30 links. So are you sending week. me links like you're kind of bookmarking them? Mostly I've, yeah, mostly I'm either, if they're short, if they're like a page, I'll read, I'll have read them. Uh, if they're longer uh, or if it just happens that I'm busy, I'll have, I'll be book, I'll be printing the, I'll be booking marking them to print them out. But there are, there are probably like maybe a half dozen things that I printed, uh, that I posted on you and posted to Skype that I just did not get a chance to read. And that was one of them. And I was thinking about like, should I try and read this really quick before we do the show? But I just didn't, didn't have time. How about we create or you create an Epic Night app? Very simple. That basically you put the link into, and then from the texting website, we have a page that basically says stories we're thinking about. And so anyone can look at that, that list of links and they'll have some kind of inkling about what we might be talking about in the upcoming show. That'd be interesting. So speaking of that, so App Ignite, you want to talk a little App Ignite? Yeah, so when I took the trip, when Sane and I, um, Went to uh, Sweden, Norway back, what, it was the end of June, towards the end of mid, middle end of June. And I kind of ripped apart App Ignite. I wanted to rebuild how um, some of the generated code worked, the routes and the, uh, the routing in particular, but also just how the generators work. And I only got about 75% done, I'd say, with it. And it was a big, big job. It was a big re- re-engineering. And... I never had a chance to fully put it back together because the other thing I started working on was redoing how mo- uh, reworking how models work. Yeah. So rather than having you, you know you generate this big you know five hundred or thousand line file that represents all the different queries, so which call like a query generator, I create something that's probably closer to Django or Rails, which is like this very succinct uh, declarative um, uh, model, declarative approach to the, doing the models. So. I finally got that to where it's all working pretty well. It's working well. And now Guyon and I are back trying to breathe this thing back into life. And it's kind of like when you do that kind of work on a, on a project and you leave it for that long, it's like, it's like taking a patient under the knife and just leave them on the table for like three days. It's like, you know, that patient's probably going to die. Yeah. There's a huge risk that you're never going to put Humpty Dumpty back together. And I normally avoid doing that. I mean, Guyon is usually the one who says – Oh, we should really totally rework this and do this and this. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, cowboy. <laughs> I'm like, I want this thing back together by the time we get off the phone because, uh, you know, I, I just, we need to make smaller steps. 
But this is one time that I just completely went off the deep end and um, I'm just now getting it back. So, yeah, because well, I need you to get that back together because I need you to start working on anything. Yeah, that's true. Um, it, it, worst case, worst, worst case, um, um, I can sort of, uh, even if Appignite was like, you know, not 100% back together, the generators are stuff that I can still generate what I need okay. easily. I'd like to use it. I'd like to generate using Appignite proper so that I can honestly say Appignite generated the bulk of any food. I mean, that's one of the reasons I wanted to do any foo. It's sort of a showcase for what Appignite was capable of doing. Yeah. And, and being making that part of the story. Um, so, yeah, so we're, we're, um, we're, we're very close to so the day. Um, Don and I were, you know, for about, I don't know, we only worked on it probably for a half hour, 45 minutes, but it was a concerted effort. Like, let's just, let's put all the pieces back together. Let's just, let's just start, let's just start from the beginning to start running Appignite, create a project, generate it. Boom, bunch of errors. Okay, one by one, let's knock them out. Let's just get all this stuff back. So, but uh, yeah. So all that's right. the app status. Okay, right now. so when, so when, when are you going to start working on the back end of Anifu? Um, I think probably in a few days. I think I, I think Appignite will be at the point. Well, I'll have all the the pieces that I need at the very least will be back in working order, and then I can generate everything I want. I think if I tried to start do some of it by hand or manually, I would just be a waste of time because if I just fix the Appignite stuff, it would I would generate it in in two minutes as opposed to manually. Okay, having to do any of that, it'd just be kind of a waste of time. So, um, yeah. But it looks like um, Daniel, our designer. I mean, he's he's. It's, I mean, it's, he. It's still gonna take a while before we have all this stuff designed out. So it's not like he's gonna have the designs everything done, you know, next Thursday or something. Well, we were pretty happy with the logo. Uh, we're pretty. I mean, first of all, the character. We got the character done, so we're very happy with the. And when I say character, I'm talking about the figure, the Enifu guy, right? Who's like this um, Asian character who looks like he knows his shit. He's working on a computer. <laughs> He's gonna it's, be equivalent, a, it's equivalent of like MailChimp, the chimp on MailChimp yeah. or the thing on Hipmunk or, or the one I think the best is, is the most similar is sort of the, the little Buddha on Zendesk. Right. And you so know, it's not part of the logo. It's just something that's on the front page that gives you, that sort of solidifies the brand. Like this is what this the brand name means i guess so we got the first logo from daniel and we we kind of liked it I and mean, it was it was executed you know in a very very professional way and we sort of we said we liked it at first but then we both independently thought about it and thought that's not exactly what we want and so he then you know we kind of instructed him to go away and have a have a go again but then what was cool was we had that kind of conference call with him and well, he didn't really have anywhere to start he he kind of was stalled out like yeah. he first of all he was sort of I think he was a little frustrated because um, I think anytime you, you create something and, and then your client is like, eh, that's not what I want. It's, it's, it's sort of a frustration. Well, he had a yeah. thing in his mind. He had a direction in his mind, but he, he then redid, redid it or well started thinking about it and used a more modern font. But then I don't know. I, I don't even know exactly the process, but between the three of us live there and then we came up with the logo. I mean, he, he did the bulk of the work, but we just kind of suggested a few things here and there. Yeah, so this is what happened. Um, we, we, had, we were scheduling a conference call just to talk about the direction for the logo. That's all it was supposed to yeah. be. This was on Friday. And um, we came in and we said, all right, well, what do we want? I mean, do we want it just to be a font, a word mark, or do we actually want some kind of a symbol? And then you were like, well, maybe we could use that foo, that Chinese character that represents foo. And I was, I thought, I thought the Fook, the Chinese character was just too much. We were, we're, we're getting too down, too far down the Asian rabbit hole, too far away from, from, I 
CAC. And but don't forget, and, Scott, Scotty had also sent just uh, you know as a kind of by the by, he'd sent us some fonts, and one of the things he'd done is he'd wrapped up that Foo character in a round circle, right? So yeah. that was something that I liked, and I was like, isn't there some way we could do something like that? Yeah, yeah. So you said that, and then you were kind of like, then I think Daniel was like, well, maybe we could do something with an A, make the A. You, well, actually, you brought that up. I think you said make the A look like the foo. Because right. the foo looks sort of like the A. And he was sort of playing with that. And then I said, well... Um, and then I think that he goes... Oh, he brought up an asterisk. He found an asterisk yeah. that looked kind of like it. And I go, make that asterisk look like... Change the... Bend the bottom legs out and it'll look kind of like the Asian character a little bit. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and then I think you had, you had initially talked about the circle. You liked the circle of the no, foo but, in. But when he said asterisk, I was like... That's a, that's awesome because like this is a coding website and asterisk is wildcard, which means yeah. any and that's like oh yeah that's it nailed right yeah so it was interesting I mean you you were like I want the circle and I thought maybe we should I should the character should be I should be orange background and so and then he he had that so it's like the combination of the three of us we all three was such an interesting mind meld <laughs> yeah it was a struggle yeah but by the end of that hour I mean it's like we nailed it like we were all like yep that's it we're so that happy it. with it yeah just just if you want to see it just go to justinvincent.com. You'll see it. It's there up the top. And we, we really like that logo. It's got the professionalism that we're looking for. Um, that's not 100% finished. Like he'll, he'll be doing a little bit more stuff to it, but that is mainly it. And um, I, I also like the idea of doing T-shirts and uh, it's just, I'm very happy with it. Yeah, this is, there's going to be a lot of possibilities yeah. with that logo. It's really slick. So, well, we got a really good uh, reception on Startup Guild where we posted both the character and the logo. That was cool. People seemed to really like it, and they they got it. Yeah. So um, that was great. So that made me feel so much better. I was kind of depressed about it when we were struggling. We didn't have it. I'm just thinking we're not going to get something that's going to work, and it's going to be a big expense, and that's just going to be a real disappointment. And uh, luckily, everything came through. I was in such a good mood when we nailed it. So... Long and the short of it is we're moving forward with Anyfu. <clears throat> we're going to keep you updated. We're going to make this thing happen. Um, we're going to start working on it over the next week or so, actually starting to code. Jason's going to be starting to code. So it's it's going to happen. I'm excited. And I think that is, uh, that's that's a show. What do you think? I think that's a show. I think I think true. Yeah. Good enough. I think we're good. I think we covered it. Was about an hour and a half? A little bit more. About an hour and a half? A little bit more. Okay. Cool, that's good. I'm starving to death anyways. 9.30 at night. <laughs> I gotta go eat some dinner. Yeah. So, all right. That's a wrap. We're out.